0: This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now as a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters. We're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Rachel Brosnahan is working hard and working smart. At 30 years old, she's won an Emmy with four nominations, two Golden Globes, two Critics' Choice Awards, and three SAG Awards for her beloved character, Midge Maisel, on Amazon's huge hit series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And she started her own production company, taking a cue from actresses like Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington to ensure work with material she believes in. Rachel Brosnahan is diving deep as a creator and a maker, and her sense of self, maturity, and intelligence will take her there. On this podcast, we discuss Rachel's days at NYU's Tisch, her love of and experience with the theater, her pivotal role on House of Cards, the actors she's worked with who have had the biggest impact on her, all things Maisel, and how she both becomes and puts away the characters she plays. I asked her about her late great aunt, Kate Spade, how she came up with the name for and the work that her production company, Scrap Paper Pictures, is doing, including her recently released cool all-female comedy special, Yearly Departed. We get specific about costuming and getting dressed, taking up a lot of space in her life, and the way that awards and awards season has affected her. We talk about her love of new york city how she's powered through the pandemic some of her favorite things and more please enjoy this episode featuring rachel brosnahan someone i was truly impressed by and thrilled to get to know hi rachel it's been three very successful seasons of marvelous mrs Maisel, the series everyone loves to binge watch as the star of TV's most binge-watchable show, I think people would love to know what you've been binge-watching this year, this year of stay-at-home entertainment consumption. I feel like I've talked so much about my,
1: my uh, binge-worthy shows, but I'm um, <laughs> they may not be the highest brow. But I, I have primarily been watching The Great British Baking Show and, uh, and Survivor and uh, a History Channel show called Alone, Succession was in there as well, which was also highly binge-worthy. But nice. I, I appreciate uh, uh, skillful reality television contestants in this moment as an escape. <laughs> you
0: have, absolutely. You have your own production company, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. I'm curious to know your thoughts on the current state of television and its programming. Big question. Yeah. I'm
1: excited by the current state of television, Um, There are so many shows and so many different platforms and a lot of new space for new content creators. Um, It feels like there are television has found the way to take bigger risks than our um, film companions in the industry over the last couple of years. And there are so many more women and, and women and men of color making Projects and uh, and I think we are the we as audience members are the beneficiaries of all of this creativity.
0: At thirty years old, it's very impressive that you've established a production company already with fantastic projects underway, including Amazon's yearly departed releasing on December thirtieth, very soon, uh, twenty twenty. Did you always know that you wanted to tell stories in more ways than one, both in front of and behind the camera?
1: Not always, um, I was primarily interested in acting for many years, but over the last couple of years I've been really inspired by other actors making the move into producing and taking taking the reins of their careers and um, and being a part of making choices that excite them. And I also found myself in a similar position to many of these other actresses in particular where despite a certain degree of success, I was still feeling frustrated by the kinds of roles that were available to me and found that producing was a path towards being a part of creating and developing those projects. Um, And on top of that, I've spoken about this quite a bit, but the question I've been asked the most in the last couple of years, which is such a privilege is what do you want to do next? Right. And I recognize that I'm in that position because of so many different people from casting directors to directors to agents and managers and producers who took chances on me when they didn't necessarily have a reason to believe that i could succeed and they took that leap and and some of those leaps have been projects or have yielded projects that changed my life and the course of my career and so another part of wanting to step into this position is being able to to pay it forward and, and also use my platform and my privilege to be able to say yes, that magical yes, that sometimes mm-hmm. is the, is the thing that, that is needed to throw open the door for someone else and, and give them the space to, to spread their wings.
0: Who are some of the other, um, entertainers that started their own production companies that have inspired you?
1: Viola Davis. Yes. And Reese Witherspoon, yes, Carrie um, Washington. Uh, there's so many. I've, uh, but but Viola and Reese in particular have really taken the bull by the horns and have and have been very open about their experiences. It's like I've poured through interviews from both of them, um, listening to them talk about why they made this move and what's been exciting for them about it, and and. We're obviously a very young company, <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm really excited to grow with my producing partner, Paige Simpson.
0: Your production company is called Scrap Paper. What uh, What is Scrap Paper's creative north star? What characteristics are you looking for in the projects you take on?
1: So, Scrap Paper Pictures is the name of the company, and we are excited by artists. Paige and I are both artists in in different ways and have come to our art differently and are excited by the idea of finding artists that we're excited about and working with them from a very early stage in their process, whether that be from the germ of an idea and helping, helping collaborate with them or helping them to find the resources that can help that germ grow into something more or coming into a project when they've written a s- script on spec and, and, you know, want to get some eyeballs on it and feedback or, or find collaborators to help bring that project to life. Um, we're excited by artists and, and know that the magic happens when artists are given the space to grow and the resources to help realize their dreams. Yes. And so um, we're pretty genre agnostic <laughs> at this mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. have found ourselves drawn to a lot of different kinds of stories, um, uh, but but remain interested in, in the collaborators on those projects.
0: Was timing important to you? Did you want to get start started producing right away? How did scrap paper pictures come to be exactly? So uh, it, it came to be through a conversation about a, an
1: opportunity for a first look deal with the Amazon on the television side.
0: I'm um, so excited to hear about that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And so that was, that was kind of the jumping off point that made it seem like something real. (laughs) And then, uh, and then around, sorry, time is a flat circle after this year, I feel like all years are blurring together. So forgive me if I'm getting some of this timeline wrong. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I think around that same time, I first read the script for I'm Your Woman. And Jordan and Julia gave me the opportunity to step into this role as a producer for the first mm. time, and so it all happened very organically. Um, I met Paige in the fall of 2019, and uh, and we we fell into lockstep right away.
0: Perfect. What's behind the name Scrap Paper? <laughs>
1: it's a it's a really lovely story. Um, so. I, uh, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, I was there till I was four and then moved to um, the suburbs of Chicago. But uh, my parents lived next to an artist um, and he was really um, sweet to my mom while she was pregnant with me and really interested in, in, um, in what kind of person I was gonna be. He was very interested in numerology and, uh, and Buddhism and, and then living. And he would tell my mom a lot that, that he felt like I was gonna be an artist. Wow. And this is before I was born. <laughs> wow. And, um, and, and as I said, he was an artist and he used to make these, these pictures, these, um, these beautiful pieces of art out of often torn up pieces of paper Mm-hmm. That he would that he would put together to make these beautiful images of sunsets and and animals and um and people and and his art is so beautiful and he used to send me a piece of art twice a year every year wow uh, on my birthday and over the holidays and so the name of the company is really an homage to him because it that receiving that art twice a year was sort of a piece of practical magic in my own life. I have never met him in person um, and have found him very inspirational from afar.
0: That's very interesting. Um, speaking of scrap paper, do you have a place where you record your ideas, your own ideas for producing and ideas for characters? Do you you know, keep notes on your phone or have a journal?
1: Yeah, I'm a very... Um, a tactile person, so I I have many notebooks. <laughs> I take I take copious notes and love um love the feeling of a pen and paper in your in your hands. But then the issue with that is that I can never find them when I need them. So <laughs> so sometimes sometimes <laughs> thoughts and ideas and notes disappear for years at a time and and reemerge. <laughs>
0: And regarding ideas, how do you develop your ideas and characteristics for the characters that you play? Is there a ritual that you have? Not really, it's really project to
1: project. I found myself challenged by characters who are so vastly different from each other, especially over the last couple of years and have challenged a lot of the ideas about how I thought I liked and needed and wanted to work. So coming out of drama school, my approach was mostly from the inside out figuring out who someone was on the inside what made them tick the things that made them who they are and and then probably working on the marvelous mrs Mesa was the first time that i i just was struggling to find what made midge Midge. she was a character that felt so far away in so many different ways and uh, and started taking more of an outside-in approach, and found that that cracked open the the inside-out part for me, yes. and was an important lesson in in um, in remaining flexible in in how you work and, and taking it project by project and day by day.
0: You've and, wanted, uh, yeah. No. no, you were saying
1: no. Just just that um, that it's it's been an interesting last couple of years because that process has changed a lot, but it always involves copious amounts of research. I'm kind of a research nerd. I like to. I like to do a deep dive into the time period or the, um, you know, it's been a lot of period stuff for the last couple of years, the time period or the, you know, there was a big deep dive into the comedy scene, working on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, and working in the 70s, just familiarizing myself with a lot of the, you know, the media and, and what was going on politically during that time. And working on this film, The Courier uh, gave me an opportunity to do a deep, deep dive about the Cold War Learned a lot of um, a lot about the Cold War that I wish we had learned in school.
0: <laughs> the Courier is coming out in 2021. And speaking mm-hmm. of Mrs. Maisel, um, it shows. It shows you give such a compelling performance. You you've won an Emmy with four nominations, two Golden Globes, two Critics' Choice Awards, and three SAG Awards for your character that is beloved. Um, it you really draw viewers deep inside the character that you play. What is your relationship with Midge like when you're not shooting? How is she with you, or perhaps not with you? <laughs> In the most tangible way, I feel like trying
1: to get my pace up to my my like internal and external pace up to that level is <laughs> <laughs> uh, a hard thing to shut off after after so many years of playing the character. So like I- my internal rhythm has probably sped up a little bit. Um, and that definitely <laughs> sticks with me. But it's also nice to be able to put a character to rest in the time that you're not that you're not spending with them. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to to move from project to project to be able to dive so deeply into these characters that are so vastly different from each other. And it feels like a little bit of a of a relief to completely change course.
0: Speaking of award season. Uh, and awards is there anything that you've discovered um, about you've been to that party now in a big way and on several occasions is there anything that you've discovered that you didn't expect about being a part of all that oh
1: goodness that's a great question i still feel so overwhelmed by that part of of this adventure (laughs) i feel like i I black out every time I, I go to, to the party, as it were. Um, I, I just am completely overstimulated. <laughs> um, uh, I was surprised the first year by how much pressure I felt to win. Hmm. Um, as an actor who, who loves acting and who came into this uh, career without without much of a thought about or interest in fame yes. um, and celebrity, that wasn't really something that I thought about very much. And and as a result, kind of knocked me sideways and caught me by surprise. Right. Right. Um, in a way that I that I had to grapple with, that I was that I was and in many ways and still deeply uncomfortable with and and finding my way through. Um and at the same time incredibly grateful for and recognize the value in. Um, uh, I hadn't really considered the idea of winning awards as a part of the journey. Um, I guess, I guess maybe it's a lack of confidence, but I suppose that that world always felt incredibly far away. (laughs) And, uh, and so when we were so fortunate during the first season of The Marvelous Mrs. Nasal to not only be a part of this show that we loved and that was such a joy to work on from day to day to day, we were not only fortunate to love this project, but to, to love a project that also found an audience because those two things don't always happen <laughs> together. They more They don't yes. more often than not. Right. You can love a project that never finds its voice and never finds never finds its viewership. Yeah. Um, uh, and you can, you know, the, I haven't had this experience, but the opposite has certainly been true for people I know where a project they they don't enjoy and doesn't fuel them and feed them and finds a huge audience. You know, both things can happen, but they rarely get to happen together. And so, um, so having not really considered that space very much, I was surprised by how... How much pressure there was to yeah. succeed in it for something that um, that really felt like a cherry on the sundae, <laughs> right? right. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's very articulate. It's still that that space that's is still something articulate. that I'm grappling with and great and very grateful for. But yeah, uh, that. has been a surprise. <laughs> yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Costuming and getting dressed takes up a lot of space in your life, right, Rachel? Particularly- yes particularly on Maisel and getting dressed for all those previously mentioned awards season, red carpet, press, all of that. How do you feel about clothing and accessories? Your aunt was the late, great Kate Spade. Does an affinity for fashion run in the family and through to you? (laughs) Uh,
1: I, I, yes, I would, I would like to think so, but, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, Katie, Katie was the queen of fashion and accessories. Um, and I certainly can't hold a candle, but uh, I love I love clothing and fashion as an opportunity to try on different moods and characters for size, <laughs> on mm-hmm. and off screen. Um, fashion is such a fun form of expression, and I've loved playing a number of characters to express themselves through fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Midge being being the um the clearest front runner in that space but uh and i enjoy it i enjoy it in my life as well i enjoy the opportunity to wear clothes on a red carpet that i may not in my in my living room as it were certainly haven't in the last couple of years (laughs) um and to to kind of play that character as well um yeah i love a good accessory love a good color pop
0: love a good color pop and a good accessory. I'm right there with you. Is there anything significant that your aunt Kate taught you about fashion or otherwise that you think about?
1: To not take it too seriously, to have fun with fashion and to not be too precious about it. Um, uh, you know, Katie, Katie always said that you know, there were no, there were no um, seasons for fashion. That she' yes. say it exactly like that. I'm sure she said it much better, but you know, that like, feel free to wear suede in the summer and, and white in the winter fashion. You know, the fashion rules are made to be broken. And that. Um, uh, something that I always took from her as well is that she always said that if you love something, you should wear it into the ground that yes. you shouldn't, you shouldn't put that beautiful, Maybe expensive bag in a box, and and yes. let it live on a shelf. That when yes. you when you love
0: something, you should you should love it as 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 often <laughs> and as much as possible. That's a good one. That is. Uh, Maisel had to halt production. Can you give us a little peek into what shooting looks like for you during COVID and how it's affected the show and the crew?
1: Yeah, we miss each other more than anything. Warm. We were hoping to go back to production in June and obviously that wasn't able to happen safely at the time. And so we, um, we've we pushed and are, and are hoping to be able to get back to it and feel confident that we should be able to in January. And we've been doing fittings. I talked to Michael Deegan yesterday. He just had some fittings and got a peek at, at some of our new sets. And I've had a number of fittings. The costumes are stunning for this uh-huh. season. Donna continues to raise the bar for herself. Donna is a costume designer and
0: the hats are out of control. It's a very intimate relationship with a costume designer, right? Rachel? Absolutely, yeah.
1: yeah. And Donna's the best. She's a real storyteller. She She elevates the already beautifully written stories of Midge and the gang to a whole new stratosphere with the
0: clothes, her clothes tell tell a story. And then she works with color so beautifully, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Broadway, you were Desdemona in Othello with Daniel Craig. You starred opposite uh, Bobby Cannavale in The Big Knife. I was curious how you plan to continue with theater and how does the stage feed you creatively and as an artist?
1: Mm, I'm itching to get back on stage. Uh, I loved the very different experiences between working on The Big Knife which was my my Broadway debut in a relatively small part back in 2013 but with this incredible cast as you mentioned Bobby Cannavale and Richard Kind and Chip Zion Marin Ireland these I mean these legends of the stage and I learned so much getting to watch them work every every night eight nights eight shows a week um, and uh, and the fellow was a completely different experience. It was in a really small off-Broadway house at New York Theater Workshop. It was an incredibly intimate space. Um, and it was one of the most special experiences I could have ever hoped to have on stage. It was so it was so intimate on stage and off stage. You know, there was one dressing room and and everyone shared this space with a, with a small curtain separating the women from the men and you had actors like Daniel Craig and David Oyelowo and Finn Wittrock, you know, these extremely established performers sharing space with, with men and women playing the, the smallest roles in the show. It was a true ensemble. Mm-hmm. And I love that about theater. And mm-hmm. I, love, I love actors at any stage in their lives and careers who embrace that. Mm-hmm. The best part about working in theater is the, the, the space for rehearsal the time to rehearse (laughs) and uh, and it may it may be even better than when you finally get to put a show up in front of an audience. Rehearsal is my favorite part of working on any production Um, but there's nothing that competes with the magic of theater. The relationship that you have to an audience. It's a different show every single time you do it and it becomes this this live thing that that shifts and changes and grows over the course of a production, and nothing else is like that. Yeah. So I'm I'm desperate for theater to
0: come back. We can't wait to see you on, on Broadway. Your role back to TV for for a bit. Your role on House of Cards was, was pivotal. How did you feel going into that project? <laughs> Petrified. <laughs> um,
1: I was. <laughs> uh twenty twenty one um twenty one I suppose when I started on the show and was only supposed to be around for an episode maybe two and uh and I'm so grateful that this part grew into an arc that changed me as a performer and um and was so uh was so foundational in my it, it was just it was such an important part of my of my journey as an actor and as a person. Um, uh, but yes, I was petrified. I I was working with some of the most talented and experienced folks in front of and behind the camera. Not even working with, just surrounded by. Yes.
0: Um,
1: and I'm so grateful to have had a the the most the most lovely and kind and talented and generous scene partner in Michael Kelly we spent three years working together and, and I, I can't, I can't imagine what that experience would have been like without his encouragement and support.
0: And going back to your twenties and late teens, what do you cherish most about your days at NYU's Tisch? Oh,
1: getting to live and work and study in the city
0: all Mm. at the same
1: time. It, one of the challenging things about that time and especially about that time in any kind of art school is that you feel like you're turning yourself inside out that your guts are on the outside and it's an incredibly vulnerable and scary and and electric experience and a lot of the times that experience happens in a bubble you know most college campuses are are on you know, beautiful tree-lined plots <laughs> outside of big cities. And I loved getting to, um, getting to study and also simultaneously work and, and live in this city that I love so much. And then to get to stay in the city after college yeah. you and work- the people, I mean, I'm still so, so close with so many of my college friends.
0: That's a wonderful thing you've worked with a lot of talented people at this point, which actors that you've worked with, do you think have had the most impact on you and why? Mm. That's a lovely
1: question. There's a few different answers to this and because some of them are so big and profound and some of them are so small and equally as profound. Um, uh, I had an experience working with Francis McDormand briefly on a show called Olive Kittredge. And I've spoken about this a lot because it, it did, it made an enormous impact on me, but um, as a young actor who was pretty new and, and still figuring out how the whole thing worked and who I was and who I wanted to be, um, Francis took me and another young actor named Corey Michael Smith out to dinner one night and just sat us down and gave us the lay of the land and was so generous and thoughtful with her time and her energy and, and just was so open and honest with us in a way that I will never forget. Gave us a space to ask her questions without making us feel small or inexperienced and, and just was so kind to us. Um, and made us feel valuable and and made us feel like there was, you know, I, I guess I always approached every and I still do, but but especially then felt like every job could be my last one.
0: Mm-hmm. And there
1: was something as simple as Francis saying, you know, and as you move forward in this career, take these with you, yes. take these, you know, take these thoughts with you that made us feel like we, you know, we were at the start right. of something Crazy. that wasn't gonna end.
0: Yeah.
1: Um <laughs> Yeah. And, and so I suppose that they, one experience that really, that, that profoundly changed me and has stuck with me. And then I would say over the last couple of years, the opportunity to work with, with every actor on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but in particular, Alex Borstein and Tony Shalhoub. Yes. Who have just showed me what leadership on set looks like, Mm. what, what leads to a long and fruitful career and, and, you know, spoiler alert, it's, 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 uh, just working hard and, and being kind. Um,
0: Working hard and being kind.
1: Yeah. They're both consummate professionals and very, very different people, but so thoughtful in, in different ways. They challenge themselves. They challenge others in ways that help everyone grow and better, better the projects that they're a part of. And, Uh, you know, and Tony in particular just has fun with every opportunity that he gets to perform. And I've
0: been really inspired by that. Your husband, Jason Ralph, is an actor too. What's it like being in a union of two artists?
1: (laughs) Well, I, I, I I will say that we are both incredibly private about our personal lives. So I, I steer away from from talking about what that's like for us. Okay.
0: But yes, that was unexpected that I would end up with
1: another actor.
0: Oh, I think it's great. I always, I, I always um, love to ask questions about creative duos. Um, <laughs> what is difficult, Rachel, would you say about what you do about being an actor or a producer or simply about being in the entertainment industry? Oh,
1: what is difficult? It's a very vulnerable job, being an artist of any kind. Uh, it's vulnerable in front of the camera or on stage, and in order to bring to life someone else's experience, you're so often digging into parts of yourself that um, that are raw and challenging and sometimes painful. Um, and uh, and I often find myself using the word exposed. <laughs> there's a there's a safety in feeling exposed when you have amazing collaborators. and I've been so fortunate to, to have worked among so many people who create that safe space to be able to do that kind of work in. Um, and then there's a vulnerability in in, uh, in having, parts of your life, parts of who you are in your private life public. Hmm. Um, that's a piece that, that I suppose I never thought about. I've heard so many people say to other people, not so much to me, but I've seen so many people say, when performers talk about that as a challenge that like you signed up for this, you asked for this.
0: But you also um, don't know until you know, right? That's
1: right. Know. I think you just, you can't possibly know <laughs> yeah. what, what exactly it is that you're signing up for, especially when I think most people do sign up to, to perform and, and don't really think too much beyond that. Um, as a really private person, I, I find that part very challenging.
0: I'm Your Woman, which you star in and produce, was released earlier this month. What led you to the project and what did it teach you about motherhood?
1: Hmm. I read the script back in 2018 and was really moved by Jean's journey from a quiet woman who's been locked inside her head um, into someone who has not only taken control of, of her own life, but recognized this power and capability inside of her that's been there all along. Um, and with regards to motherhood, I am so grateful to filmmakers like Julia who are having conversations about motherhood that that haven't been represented on screen before. I didn't know that, that um, Women's struggles with infertility and and miscarriages in particular can lead to a form of PTSD. I mm-hmm. didn't know that because we don't we don't talk about that kind of trauma very often publicly. There are so right. many quiet women who have who have felt like they have to suffer in silence and and that those experiences should remain private. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because in this moment, which wasn't happening when we when we set out to make the film in this moment, you have women like Chrissy Teigen and Megan, Megan Markle coming forward about those experiences and, and giving so many women the space to feel seen and heard about their own. Yes. And, and that's something that I hope that this film can, I hope that this film can be a part of that conversation as well. Um, and also the idea that, that, you know, there's so many different pathways towards motherhood. Obviously jeans is a very extreme example, but you know, women become mothers in in so many different ways and it doesn't make them any less of a mother or any less of a woman, um, or any less capable, but each path comes with its own challenges and they're all okay.
0: Rachel, how, how were your creative pursuits nurtured by your family?
1: Hmm. My family, uh, was very nervous (laughs) about, about about, um, having a kid who wanted to pursue a career in the arts because so many careers in the arts don't pan out. Um, I think they just, as, as most parents do, wanted to see me succeed and wanted to see me be okay and also happy and fulfilled and, uh, and a lot of a lot of ventures into careers in the arts, I should say, don't necessarily end that way. Yep. And um, and so they pushed me. They pushed me to to work hard and to study hard, and to to make sure that I was educated about what this career path actually looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they pushed me, and I'm and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that they did. But I come from my immediate family is very athletic Mm. um rather than creative and uh and so it was just foreign.
0: (laughs) You were the creative (laughs) maverick. Yes, the black sheep. (laughs) Uh the colorful sheep probably. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Your year end of year comedy special for Amazon, yearly departed, uh is so fresh. It's so modern. It includes a group of incredibly talented women. How did that incredible project come together?
1: So um, a woman named Bess Kalb, who's a phenomenal and hilarious writer and also one of the executive producers of this project um, alongside a company called We the Women, brought this project to my producing partner, Paige Simpson and I, and, uh, and we loved it um, best pitched the project. And we, we just thought it was so hilarious and timely <laughs> and, uh, and, and cathartic and so many things that we've, yes. we, and we felt like we needed to, to close out this shit storm of a year. Yes. And we imagined that, that many other people would feel the same. So we, as a team brought the project to Amazon who thankfully did feel exactly the same way. Um, and gave us the resources to make the project. We brought on some partners at a company called Done and Dusted, who, are, who have been making so many extraordinary projects during this really challenging and uncertain time. They produced the Obama graduation special, they produced the Emmys and, and so many other projects. So they were really the experts in, in, in shooting during this time and ensuring that we were able to do it safely and, um, and also successfully. And it's, they were really important partners in this process.
0: It's so great. The format for it is so great. What was it like on set amongst all the ladies of Yearly Departed? You had Sarah Silverman, Tiffany Haddish, so many others. Yeah,
1: Patty Harrison and Ziwe and Phoebe Robinson and Natasha Legero, Natasha Rothwell. I mean, we were all pinching ourselves. We just we couldn't believe that all of these hilarious women and our phenomenal writers that they said yes. I mean, we we felt we thought the idea was brilliant, but um, but it's always encouraging to know that other people whose work you admire feel the same. Mm-hmm. And they they just, I mean, they took this thing by storm. They added their own spin to each of these these eulogies. They worked very closely and collaboratively with our writers. And it was really important to us that we that you know they had the space to make to make these monologues their own as brilliant stand up comedians and they did and to their credit you know this project was shot in a really strange and very unique way given was the time it how was it shot how did you shoot? yeah so we had three stages we had one stage that was the front of the of our uh, faux funeral parlor. So it was, it was um, four cameras focused on the eulogist, the person at the front of the room. And then we had uh, a B stage that was the back of the audience. And then we had another stage that was just green screen pods. So each woman would do their eulogy on our primary stage. And then they would go into the green screen pod room where everyone was separate from each other, and they'd have an earbud in, and they'd be watching on a screen, whoever was delivering the eulogy at a, at, at the time, um, and responding. And we would shoot them while they responded. And then our our B stage was for our wider shots, for our motion control shots that we needed to to pull everyone together into the same space in VFX and post production. Uh, but n- everyone was never in the room at the same time. It was, a, it was a technological feat. And to these women's credit, these women who are used to performing so brilliantly in front of an audience, they performed to an empty house of cameras and they
0: nailed it. You would never t- know the difference. Um, it's just amazing how resourceful we've had to become. Yes,
1: but I'm so hopeful and encouraged by the fact that so many people have gotten so creative about how they make projects during this time. It is, it's
0: fantastic. Like your dearly departed persona, did you lose your pants this year during the pandemic? What is your at home look? <laughs> yes, I was very ready to say goodbye and fuck you to pants. <laughs> um,
1: I have not really worn hard pants, as I believe they're being called these days. Oh, what's since that? A March. Thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh but I do find myself wearing a lot of yoga pants on the bottom with professional attire on the top on my on my Zoom calls these days. Mm-hmm. Like it's been very half and half. Whichever part of you doesn't have to get dressed, you don't. <laughs>
0: <What> <laughs> I've is- gotten some
1: lovely slippers. Yes. Quarantine. Slides. Yeah, I have
0: I have a pair of Birkenstock slides. I have a mm-hmm. Jenny Kane. Fuzzy ones. It, yeah. Yep. Like the year of the slipper, too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Loungewear is <laughs> making a big comeback. Yes. Uh, what has 2020 been like for you, both personally and professionally?
1: Professionally busy, which I feel very grateful for. I think I, alongside so many other people, would have completely lost my mind if I didn't have something to pour all of my excess and anxious energy into. Um, mm. And it's also been challenging. You know, I've been away from friends and family as have so many other people for a really long time. There's so much uncertainty about the state of the world and the future. And, and, um, and that's very anxiety inducing. Um, March was challenging for the city of New York, which I love so very much me too but i also feel really hopeful i feel like i feel like we're turning a corner and change is coming and i'm i'm ready for
0: 2021 can you tell us anything about the first look deal you recently signed with amazon to develop a television series
1: yeah it's it's really just that we we um we have a first look deal at amazon on the television side we've been working away with them this special was a part of that deal. And we have another project in development with them that I can't talk about quite oh, yet, but we're very excited about, um, and looking forward to, to more to come.
0: And more diverse projects. I'm assuming. Absolutely. Yeah. Lightning round. We're going to wrap with our lightning round. Oh no. It's <laughs> a good one. How funny are you in your own life? Getting funnier. I'm being
1: told, Oh. Uh, but, but um, unconfident in my
0: comedic abilities. <laughs> what inspires you? Um, oh,
1: artists who are confident in their vision.
0: What scares you? Failure. What kinds of roles are you most looking to play at this point in your career?
1: something I haven't played before and roles that feel inaccessible and impossible.
0: What are you reading right now? If anything.
1: Scripts, <laughs> so many
0: scripts. i <laughs> um, getting to
1: know a lot of new writers as we have a couple of projects that are, um, that are, that we're bringing on writers for right now.
0: What do you miss about the Midwest? The people. <laughs> And you've lived in New York city, your whole adult life, Mm. New York city in three words.
1: Mm. Electric, straightforward, Uh, great coffee.
0: Mm. Favorite meal? Thai food, anything Thai. Yes. What do you use on your skin?
1: Uh, gentle products. Um, yeah, I have very sensitive skin.
0: Are you into clean, clean beauty products? Like, are you into? It's sort of
1: product by product, whatever, whatever works for you. Um, sometimes certain clean beauty products have irritated my skin and certain non-clean beauty products have been the thing that, that saves it. So I'm, I'm sort of, I, I love clean beauty products and so grateful that they exist. Yeah, But I think it's, it's at the end of the day, whatever works for you. It's a good it keeps point. your skin healthy.
0: Yeah. it's a good point. They can irritate skin. Handbag that you carry. Oh, <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Tell me, give, give me, give me like your top three. Oh gosh. I have to open
1: my closet. Um, I have a large uh, uh, Claire V bag that is very soft and black I feel like it fits everything in it um a really adorable kind of squ- I don't know how you describe it like kind a of square shaped uh plaid Francis Valentine bag that I just got that I've been carrying all over the place mm-hmm. um I love I love uh, belt bags I have a oh, little do
0: you? that's yeah.
1: tell me well, about and- belt bags Yeah, New York. I mean, you know, yeah. It's like you don't want to be if you're going to walk a long way, you don't want to be carrying a ton of shit. So, I have a little little product kind of bean shaped belt bag that I love. What color? Very much. It's red and black. Nice. Yeah. Um, Um, But yes, I I'm I'm a big uh, changer upper of bags. Also love a good backpack. I have a great Francis Valentine backpack that's sort of an oatmeal color with a with a um, beautiful brown leather piping. And it, it looks small, but it fits
0: everything. Mm, I love a good pack. Are you the same mm-hmm. way with shoes or is it just bags?
1: Oh no, the same with shoes, yeah. <laughs> I'm an accessories bet. gal. <laughs> well,
0: what, what, what shoes are you wearing right now? Or what, what, do you, what do you like to put on your feet for sort of like an evening shoe? Oh, well, I haven't worn an
1: evening shoe in a long a time, long time. On, a, on our shoot. <laughs> I'm terrified to put, put my heels back on. I, I don't it's know true. if I'm gonna be able to walk in them anymore.
0: It's true. Um, it, 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 something happens. i put but on But I a- was
1: excited to bring my snow boots back out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love a good combat boot. Where again,
0: you your combat boots. Who, who, I was gonna what? say
1: again, I have this pair of Francis Valentine boots that are also red and black. Um that, uh, that, that lace up that I love. I feel like I wear those every other day right now, especially when it's snowing. Um, a simple like Chelsea boot. Yep. Uh, little, I love a good slide, you know, of just something you can throw on really quickly. I have dogs, so anything you can throw on really quickly to go down and take the dogs out. <laughs> um, love a good tennis shoe, tennis shoes what, with everything. What do you, which tennis shoe do you wear? the one that i've been wearing the most is a it's a white leather pair of rag and bone tennis shoes mm-hmm. those and um, and just a, i've got a pair of a pair of vans slide-ons oh. that i love
0: go-to lipstick or lip balm um, or lip gloss
1: Ioso. oh
0: i love their i love their products
1: yeah there's an apricot colored one that I like to use as a, as a lip, a cheek, and an eye.
0: Favorite way to spend a Sunday or a day off? Mm. Well, pre-2020, <laughs> uh,
1: uh, drinking coffee in the park with a friend or a group of friends, just sort of that. It feels very New York, but that hours long
0: coffee. Mm. That sounds lovely. What will you do on New Year's Eve and day?
1: Well, this year I'm going to be watching yearly departed of on course. New Year's Eve. Yes, um, yeah, we've we've got some fun, fun New Year's gear, <laughs> and uh, actually, our casting director, who's one of my very best friends, um, or one half of our casting duo, I should say, one of my very best friends, Carly Fomelant, uh, is in my is in my pod, and so we will be watching together on New Year's Eve.
0: Very fun. Okay. Lastly, describe your current state of mind these days. Oh, uh, all over the place. (laughs) Just all over. (laughs) Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much.